Hello to all you gamers and all you bookworms out there who I am eternally grateful to for listening to Arcade Bookshop. This is a show that so far has not shown, but only made sounds from our voices. These have been sounds about video games and sounds about stories we've read. We hope they've been sounds that you have thoroughly enjoyed so far. Today, October 30th, we're bringing you more horrifying sounds. But this time, we have come with a little extra something. This time, just in time for Halloween, we have cheap HD camcorders and iPhones. Recording our faces talking, and it is absolutely horrifying. What's even more horrifying is what I'm about to tell you, dot dot dot. Some of us here at Arcade Bookshop are so amateur, so unprofessional, that we didn't quite know just what sort of endeavor we were embarking upon in the phantasmagorical realm of video podcasting. So lacking that some of us neglected to save a master copy of the unproduced audio recording. Recording. So inferior that we realized after all the edits and cuts were done in the audio that it would make it one billion kajillion times more difficult to match five zillion clips of video to a nigh two hour long audio session. Disgusting. As a result, we present to you a wretched monster. One that's pretty good, but rank with the feated self-loathing of Bryce's mistakes. We give you approximately 20 minutes of video, because it took 8 hours just to edit that much. But do not fear, dot dot dot. Next episode... Our Halloween night special will deliver, for the very first time, Arcade Bookshop's first full-length, uninterrupted video podcast. <laughs> for today, I still recommend watching and listening because it was a really fun episode and we all had a blast talking about Resident Evil. Thank you. <laughs> Please be advised that in order to foster quality discussions in each episode, we will spoil the stories in each game and text we talk about. Good news is, 90% of the titles we cover are old enough that many of you might already know all about them. That said, we do encourage you to play and read before listening. When this airs, it is October 30th, Halloween Eve, Eve. So the question is, Caleb, where's your costume? My costume? I have a Freddy Krueger costume in a container in my closet. Does that count? Where is it? In the container in my closet. It's not on you? Uh, If this video works, no. <laughs> <laughs> I can go get it if you want. I can at least get the hat and the glove. Well, you don't have to because 
today when we're recording, it's September the 20th. But for the purposes of everybody listening and hopefully watching today, it's October 30th and tomorrow is Halloween. I'm so excited. Was I not supposed to talk to you and introduce me? No, you're fine. Sweet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interject. I'm excited that I didn't realize it was going to air on Halloween. So thanks for having me. I feel super special. <laughs> Thought it was appropriate yeah. for this episode and for our guest today, uh, who I'll introduce in just a moment. I personally felt like I didn't need to dress up, not only because it's September the 20th, but because the world we live in is scary enough. We agree, fellas? Sure. I'm trying to make it scarier. All right. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into it, I'd like to ask you guys a question. Do you guys think that horror stories provide a service to the world, or are they just silly thrills? And to tack onto that, if you do think they serve us, what type or vein of horror stories are the most important? It's a big question. It's a big question for me to field. Uh, first of all, I think the answer is comfortably both, right? Not every horror story has to be this therapeutic or mm-hmm. you know metaphorical experience. I very much like the Evil Dead for that reason, that it's not that, but something like uh, Resident Evil that's a little more topical and, uh, you know, metaphorical for the world we live in and things like that, I think is a a very important uh, narrative to drive in the people that, in a, in a way that will resonate a little harder because it's more visceral and something like a horror book would be. Caleb? Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> well... You'd have to kind of analyze why people like horror to begin with. There's some kind of primal instinct for us to face what we're scared of. Uh, Maybe it's the adventurer in at least uh, our DNA as we traverse the seas and now space. But I, I would say that horror can be very serious and fill some kind of need that we have, but also it could just be a fun thrill ride. Depending on what it is, word. I was I, I was thinking uh, I was thinking about like what horror horror stories what they what stories in the movies do to me when I watch a good horror movie and I think also a good horror story when I read one they give me a release and people I mean I know like Shreya thinks I'm crazy and I think my my brother feels the same way like. I when I watch a horror movie, I and there's a limit, but it makes me feel good. Like I get a happiness that I don't get from other like from watching like happy things. It's it's strange, uh, but but like I've heard the opposite. Like my brother and Sharia are the type of person who they watch horror movies and it makes them feel sick. So I my opinion is that I don't think they serve a grand purpose for everyone, or maybe it just depends what phase of life you're in. Or if there's already too much tension in your world that they just add add to it and it just it isn't at the right time. But obviously they exist for a reason. I also like the Evil Dead. That shit's awesome. Uh, That's why I do anything I do, really. <laughs> I remember watching that. I remember seeing Evil Dead on TV late at night one time. Obviously something I wasn't supposed to be watching at that age. And that was it was the end. So like it was just that was that scene where the uh, Evil Dead 2, you know, where that, yeah. like, the tree and the big face and, you know, all that of course. wild shit. Yeah. So, I love those silly thrill ones. 
Dude, I grew up watching Evil Dead 2. Like, I had a VHS of Evil Dead 2. Like, really? Yeah, instead of, like, Barney, because my parents were great. And they just <laughs> let me watch whatever the fuck I wanted. Apparently, it was Evil Dead 2. But, so, I was watching it at such a young age, I didn't even realize it was supposed to be scary. So, that's kind of one of those things. Like, I was never truly afraid of horror movies, just because mm. I grew up kind of watching them and thought they were just, like, a ton of fun. So, you realize some shit as you get older, and then things become scary in a different way, but... Yeah. It was totally just slap slapstick, cool, just good, like crazy art that I just fucking dug. I didn't even realize it was supposed to be weird, right? <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. <laughs> or as deranged as it was, which makes it cool. I have a similar horror origin. Yeah, I was watching, you know, Friday the Thirteenth, the original uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, when I was like five. Like things I clearly yeah. shouldn't have been watching, but when you grow up watching that stuff, you understand its fantasy. Like you learn very quickly. So you can separate it, and I think that's why, like our generation, we loved violent video games so much, because we could separate it as just a game. It's not real, it's just a cathartic outlet for whatever you might be feeling. But, I I mean, I could be wrong, but I think a lot of people now, they don't have that, and maybe it's just because of the way society is now, and there's so much real-world violence that we didn't quite have when we were growing up. So it's possible that they, like you said, Bryce, they just get sick. Like you watch that stuff and it's just too much. It's too mm-hmm. real or bring, it triggers too many things. But for us, like, it's fun. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> sawing someone's head off is fun. Uh, you watch like Terrifier 1 or 2. That should be the worst thing ever, but yeah. it's great. Uh, but I can see how somebody watches that and just thinks, oh, my God, who would let anyone watch this? Why would someone make this? But they made it for people like us who know it's fantasy and can... And then maybe that's more of a creative side of our personalities because I think a lot of non-creatives can't necessarily split the fiction from the reality. Yeah, and also I I, I know you're talking about like more adults, but I you made me think of when my stepdaughter accidentally sees scary things. It's like a traumatic experience, <laughs> and imagine. like yeah, like <laughs> it's funny because like. I I like we obviously all grew up like watching this kind of stuff at a very young age and it like never phased us as something we shouldn't be watching. But now it's like it, I remember like probably 2 years ago before I was really understanding like like Sheree's parenting style and like what you know, how she like wants to preserve her innocence as long as possible. Like I would be like, oh, let's just let's let her watch like let her watch Alien a little little bit. Like <laughs> that was my plan. I came. I, I was planning on just coming over and bringing like a, you know <laughs> Evil Dead or something. Yeah, <laughs> just right. like that. Yes. Yeah, what's the worst that could happen? And then she's like, you don't understand what that does to to a little kid's uh, psyche. No, we don't at all. Like yeah. I, I was like, I'm fine. And she's like, are you? Yeah, it depends on your level of trauma going into it, maybe, too. You know? Yeah. There's that. <laughs> what I find hilarious about my generation and the generation before me, our parents weren't worried about the extreme gore in these movies. It was if, like they showed a boob or something. That was over the top. <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah. You can be watching that. There's boobs in that. But everything else, that's fine. You just, you know, saw someone in half. A shark just rips up a whole beach community. That's all fine. <laughs> Good lord, you see a nipple. Yeah, seriously. I I feel like I remember Jaws being a thing that I wasn't supposed to watch. Like, And if I did, it was like... That's like one of the milder ones. It's funny, that was one of the only ones that actually scared me as a kid. Really? It was Jaws. Yeah, and Nightmare on Elm Street, maybe because I watched that when I was like four or five the first time. 
So that was, it was really creepy. Really but good. yeah, Jaws was the only one that actually gave me like a lingering, ooh, I don't like deep water that much now. Like I'll go in the ocean, but it kind of freaks me out sometimes. Right. Did, did either of us, I don't remember, did either of us say, either of you say what, what stories you think are the most important? What type of horror stories? No, I don't. That's a, that's a tough one for me to think about, honestly. Um, I, I don't know if that's for me to say what's the most important, but guess what whatever's the most important to you. Right, right. What, are, uh, what is it? <laughs> maybe, uh, honestly, I guess slasher movies are like that genre of uh, of movie or like if you want to take it back to like a, what's a slasher like fairy tale or a, a wise tale, maybe Bluebeard or is it Redbeard or some shit like <laughs> that or, you know, uh, warning you about the actual dangers of people in this world that, you know, it's good training for life. You know, if you grow up watching that shit, there are, you know, I don't think you should live in fear, teach you not to live in fear because it's entertainment, but, you know, there's evil out there yeah, in the world and it teaches you kind of how to deal with that, wrestle that, navigate that as a child versus being, oh, I'm watching fucking nicholas sparks movies and barney and all that shit and then you know you get hit with reality and it's fucked you know so it helped me it fortified me in that way that's a good point yeah what about you i think uh and this might be a little selfish but just being a writer i think the psychological character breakdowns of movies like psycho those are the ones i always gravitated towards as the most important because i love slasher movies and stuff like that but there's not much to break down in those I mean, maybe like the Freddy Krueger, you could get a little deeper, but usually it's just either like a cheap revenge story or just, you know, fun murder. And that's about it. Mm -hmm. I also like the world development of like the Hellraiser movies and stuff, things that are more creative. Uh, So anything like that's probably like right up my alley. But when it comes to just straight slashers and stuff, those are the things I just turn my brain off and just watch. But uh, they weren't they weren't really influential in my life. Like they didn't really influence how I you know, go about my day-to-day thinking or anything like that, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. Take it from me. <laughs> well, this is interesting. We all have different answers. Maybe this is just because I grew up in church. I don't know if you guys did at all, but I, I am saying that I feel like the supernatural stories are the most important to me. They're always the ones that really, really capture my attention, you know, and they keep me focused and they keep me like really spooked. And interesting. I don't like watching and reading about slasher type stuff as much just because it's like I get that it's like a real threat and I get your take on it. But it also when I'm experiencing it as entertainment, it just feels like gore. And I've I've watched my fair share of them, but at the same time I they don't really do anything for me personally. And the supernatural ones, I feel like, you know, like ghost stories, stories about the afterlife. To me, they provide a sense of horror about our mortality and uh, pose the question of like what else could be out there or around us or after our physical existence. And I get that not everyone thinks about that stuff and certain aspects of uh, your childhood and whatever that develops that in you depending who you are but i think those are the ones that really peak uh i guess for people like me obviously one out of three here uh peak the philosophical questions in our minds about like uh but without being too far far fetched or simply scaring us for the sake of being scared or disgusted or grossed out like slashers or overly violent stories i don't know they always do a lot for me like i think of um 
uh what's that what's that really popular one with the they go into the the further it has the guy who plays ed warren in the conjuring movies oh the insidious insidious Mm -hmm. i love those they're they're really really like oblique take on supernatural but i i've loved all of those i i like the first one i don't know about like four or five six or however many there are now they kind of killed them but I, it's funny that you say that. I don't know really why this is, but I'm the complete opposite uh, when it comes to horror movies and horror stories, ghost stories, paranormal stuff. Unless it's The Exorcist, I probably hate it. Mm. And I just never really connected with it for whatever reason. I think it's cool. And like I like the, like you said, it p- provokes philosophical questions. But I guess it was just never what attracted me to horror was what I could relate to. And <laughs> I guess yeah. that tells you about what environment I grew up in because that was like... <laughs> uh monsters and slashers and uh something a little more theatrical like mm-hmm. that's obviously dracula and frankenstein's yeah. what in in everything i do but um i'm always i'm just fascinated with the concept of the anti-hero i've learned as i as i've you know studied <laughs> books yeah. and things and grew up a little bit like the fact that you know you don't watch a jason movie are you scared for the the naked chick that's about to get you know her head cut off with a machete you're rooting for jason the whole time right and it's cool I, at yeah, least like yeah it's, yeah right so it's kind of <laughs> fucked up right but it's uh i don't know i guess i'm just fascinated by that you know and i think that's a that's a it's a cool take on on art that uh, i think slash movies get shit on kind of unnecessarily especially uh newer ones newer one there's the, the those um you were referencing it earlier that um i suck at remembering uh, things the clown guy the clown oh, guy. Art the clown terrifier terrifier, terrifier. Yeah. i think what those guys are doing is is um is awesome man with with the slasher genre and they're actually expanding it and making it into a, a whole series and the world is desperate for an icon is my point i guess and like mm-hmm. they so if you can build up a, an anti-hero like that like Arthur the clown's funny he's sawing a chick in half and then you know everyone la- he laughs you know <laughs> i i you don't really get that in ghost stories for me you know that's just kind of what I, where i connect with with that i guess well it comes down to motive and non-motive too those are the split in slasher movies when a slasher has a good motive for what they're doing you can root for them more like jason at least the original incarnation of him uh after the first one which was just his mother getting revenge it was still revenge mm. and then you know it gets a little goofy as it goes on and eventually you do get to the point where it's like ah, eh, this is just a slasher now it's just the guy he doesn't have a motive other than he likes to kill right. so those are more fun uh i always gravitated towards the more story element like you know, why is freddy krueger killing people he's not just killing kids he's killing the kids of the parents who killed him it makes sense and art the clown is great because he has no motive other than he's crazy <laughs> so it's like why is he doing what he's doing you don't want to break it down you just shut your brain off and enjoy the ride so those are like the two different elements right. uh that i like about slasher movies and how they can be perceived so differently by people so if somebody right. who's not a big fan of the genre just sees uh the terrifier movies they might be instantly turned off or they might be instantly just like that is the greatest thing ever but then if they go to the other way uh, it could have the exact opposite effect if they go to a motive-heavy story. Uh, I think uh, like the Michael Myers stuff, when Rob Zombie gave him an origin, people a lot of people hated it. I thought it was okay, but a lot of people really hated those movies. And it was because now our killing machine, who's just evil, that's mainly what he was, was just evil, has an origin of why he might have turned out this way, and people don't like that 
Uh, but then some people love it. So again, there's that weird split with the slasher genre. But yeah. I, I, I personally, I like mostly all slashers. They're just I turn my brain off and I just enjoy them. Who's your favorite? Um, probably still Freddy, just because he was funny. But Jason, cool. growing up, was my guy mainly because he just had the coolest kills. I always thought. Sure. I think I like. I like slashers in terms of the older ones, I think. I think it's just the newer ones that really start getting gross that just turn me off. And I've tried to get myself into them. And as I get older, I can, like, I can take it a little more. But, like, I still can't do Saw. I've done the first few. I can't do that. I know it's not really a, technically a slasher, but kind of the same idea. Torture. Torture yeah. porn, if you will. Yeah, yeah. right. But I like I always loved all the Halloween movies. So I love Mike Myers. Me too. He's um, my fifth. It's like it's so intense but so mild. It's like it's especially the first one. Yeah, like you were saying with motive. That's why the first right. one was so good because they gave him no story no, nothing, at all. Yeah. He was just yeah. the guy, right? He's the boogeyman, and that's what's <laughs> truly scary. There's Which is right. cool because then that's the era of the mysterious. You don't know anything about him. Why is he killing? Yeah. So you have a motive without a motive. It's just like oh, I need to search. The reason why this guy is doing this, and then that's what hooks the. It could be a reader if it's book wise, but in a movie, that's what hooks the the viewer. Absolutely, yeah. That's why they got I, for me when they uh, later when it became about like killing his family and Laurie Strode was his sister. It just becomes less, you know. There's le- it's less scary. Really. It's kind of stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just stupid. Yeah. I still enjoy watching so it, but I agree. Yeah, yeah. It's when you fun. give a, it's cool. When you give this this killing machine. Uh, too much origin and too much story and you humanize him too much he's no longer scary as this hulking figure that could just kill you and you don't know why when he has a reason it's like oh i know why he's trying to kill people now and somehow it just humanizes him too much you have to have in a good like villain like that they have to be the other they have to be the boogeyman you know a demon they have to be something that you wouldn't necessarily experience in your real life because if you did it would be the worst thing ever uh, and you don't, I just thought I don't like when they humanize the characters too much because then it just kind of gets boring to me. Hmm. Heard. Word. Well, welcome to Arcade Bookshop where we talk about video games and their literary counterparts for all of you who love to play and to read. Thanks so much for listening and joining us today. And hopefully you're also watching us this time as well as listening, but it's our first try. So I'm not sure if it'll work out or not, but I, I think we got it. I'm Bryce Yoli, and as always, I'm here with my pal and cousin-in-law, Caleb James. So, And today we're also joined by Zach Belanti, nice. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a.k.a. the Crypt Keeper yeah. of the local horror-inspired Pittsburgh fitness company, Death Comes Lifting. You want to talk about the business real quick? Sure, man. Uh, thanks for having me on for this very appropriate episode for what we do as I try to bring fitness and horror and heavy metal and punk rock into one uh, melting pot. And uh, basically clothing and training programs and contents all, you know, all that style. And yeah, man, I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. Excited to uh, continue to grow it here in zombie, cap- zombie capital of the world, Pittsburgh. Word. So yeah, man, it's... Uh, it's always an exciting time. As this episode airs, apparently it'll be around Halloween, so I'll have been all over the world uh, doing uh, <laughs> all over the fucking East Coast anyway, uh, prom- promoting and doing all sorts of Halloween stuff. So this is my time to like 
you know, blossom with the brand. So I'm excited, man. Definitely. Yeah. By the time this is out, Zach and I will have spent the weekend hanging out at the Cleveland Gaming Classic in Hell Cleveland, yeah. Ohio. That's right. Selling Death Comes Lifting t-shirts and stuff and handing out arcade bookshop stickers. Yes. Uh, and uh, here they are, since we're on video now, here's some arcade bookshop yeah. stickers. For every three shirts you buy, you give two of those stickers. <laughs> we just yeah. made that deal up just <laughs> yeah, now. just now. Although, if no, you're listening cool. to this and hearing that deal, uh, you can't come to the Cleveland Past. Gaming uh, Classic because it's over. But <laughs> you can reach out to us, and yeah. we can get you some stuff. We'll hook it up. We'll hook you it guys up. want the we'll merch, try. we'll make it happen. We'll it so, today we're screaming in terror. promotion. <laughs> like, oh, if you're listening to this, that means it already is over. It means it's already <laughs> over, but you have to call it. us directly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hard recording so far ahead of time. But you guys understand, I hope, that you gotta oh, yeah. we gotta have time to read and play this stuff and get it edited and get it to you. And you know, you don't just read a book in a day, you don't just play a game in a day. It takes especially if you're adults with full time jobs as we all are, it takes some time. Speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, I guess I should. But uh <laughs> Today, we are screaming in terror about Resident Evil Director's Cut, originally released in 1996 for PlayStation. So, when was the last time you guys played this? I just finished this, like, a week ago. I honestly probably haven't played the original slash Director's Cut in three to five years, probably. But I grew up playing it, as well as the sequels. So, I was was totally into it, just nerd about them all, so... Yeah, it's it's fresh in my mind. Good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I played it 25 years ago. <laughs> I'm sure I I've did. revisited it. <laughs> I'm sure I revisited it sometime uh, recently, but not since I moved into my house now. Uh, even so, probably 10 years, maybe. <laughs> and it wasn't like I went and beat it or anything. I was just playing. It. I was like, oh, I don't like these controls. And then just stopped. Same way. <laughs> yeah, that's... That was a hard part. Um, I wish I played this growing up. We had a PlayStation, but I don't even remember that many PlayStation games. Like we had, we had Tomb Raider, we had Twisted Metal, and like Tony Hawk stuff like that. I feel like we didn't have. I mean, my bro- and my other brother had like you know, all the Final Fantasy games and stuff. I don't remember that like all that much PlayStation gaming though what until you I got my PS2. What? What you play? What did I play? Yeah, if not if not PlayStation, just not video games. I or... always well as in that era, I yeah. was doing like all Game Boy stuff, like okay. Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance, all that too. Man. And then uh, all the Game Boys. Yeah, man. Yeah. And then um, eventually, I got my own PS2, and that was my system. That was it's a game my... changer for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sad to say, if I haven't mentioned it on here already, I I went home to my parents' house to get my PS2, and that. Uh, that graphics chip just didn't hold up. Um, it still plays stuff. I you just can't really you can't really see what's happening. It like it it like glitches out and shit. And like I guess you can still get them kind of like used ones pretty cheap. They're not like I mean it's still like a hundred bucks or so. But I just thought PS Plus has all like a lot of the the best stuff on there. And that's where I played Resident Evil Director's Cut. They don't have all of them on there, but they had that one, and that's that's what I wanted to play for the show. So I got it done. It was hard. Yeah. So, but before we get hard. into it, since we're talking about stories, yeah, let's. I got a synopsis for us that 
I uh, half stole from Wikipedia and half wrote myself. I like it. All right. So, <laughs> so Resident Evil, the first one. I don't know if you guys play the Director's Cut, but I play the Director's Cut because that's what was available. It's about two special ops teams from Raccoon City called Stars who come to investigate a series of bizarre murders. When the first team goes missing, a second is dispatched to find them and continue the investigation, but they're attacked by vicious monster-like dogs. Their helicopter pilot panics and flees, and the team runs to the safety of a nearby mansion. In the rush of things, the team is separated. Your character, either Chris Redfield or Jill Valentine, has no choice but to search the mansion for clues as to what's going on in this small town where everyone has gone missing. Uh, In the progression of the game, your character encounters violent creatures who used to be people and other monstrous enemies. You don't really know what they are. Eventually, the character learns about a series of experiments undergone in the depths and the vicinity of the mansion by a secret research team under the direction of the Umbrella Corporation to develop a super soldier using something called the T-Virus. But we all know, I'm going to throw you guys for a loop here, but we all know this story is really about old Martin Crackhorn, the poor old soul who lost his life to the escaped virus, which inevitably infected him and and we say our prayers to Mr. Crackhorn and his wife, Alma, who he wrote lovingly to in his last moments of life. R.I.P. Marty. <laughs> the goat. And you know what this game actually reminded me of? What? <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to go into it. <laughs> this game actually reminded me of playing Deja Vu. Really? Yeah. Like, at because least of the, the puzzles? It, yeah, because, like, when you think about it, and I'm going to get into the difficulty and stuff that we were just talking about, but when you think about it, this game is, like, primarily about opening doors and solving puzzles. And it just, it felt very similar to the point and click of Deja Vu and, like, avoiding the dumb pitfalls, like, the literal pitfall in Deja Vu <laughs> yeah. and, and the muggers and bums that randomly show up, which the zombies are the equivalent of that in Resident Evil, and um, and also how the doors open first person every time you interact with them, even though the game is primarily third person, which is always, it's it adds that spooky element to it, but... Yeah, it, it's, it's like a jarring choice. It, yeah, it's, it's funny as you're like, wait... What, I, it it definitely like the first door opened. I was like, it, "Is it freezing right now or something?" Yeah. <laughs> well, um, Resident Evil gives you an ambiance, though it definitely lacks in Deja Vu's kick-ass themes. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I've read that we can talk about music right now because music is definitely it's good in Resident Evil. Deja Vu okay. definitely stuck it out. Suffices. Yeah. So, but I I've heard that the soundtrack in the original re- cut of Resident Evil is different from the director's cut. Does the director... This is completely a digression. Does the director's cut censor... Because the U.S. version was censored compared to the Japanese version. Is the U.S. director's cut censored as well? In what way? Uh, For instance, like the first zombie you come across, he looks at you real creepily. So I think it's a cutscene. Uh, in the original japanese version it shows like a grotesque severed head roll by first and then uh, you have the zombie like they just cut things like that in the American yeah I don't, version. I don't remember that so so maybe that has something to do with the changing of the music too of course japanese have very strict copyright laws with their music so maybe it's just something along those lines something stupid well so i actually i actually didn't research this is is the director's cut the u.s version 
Or is there are there two different U.S. versions? No, I that I think this one has a few different versions of it. The one I had was uh, it had a white zombie on it, which is I think what you were talking about that famous cutscene with the bald head white zombie just kind of looks back behind you yeah. with his eyes all creepy like that. And I, yeah, but I think that was like a remastered version that they put out. I don't know if I ever had or played like the true original. And mm-hmm. I know there's a few different versions, so I really don't know. But in the one, yeah, I the played, Japanese version, there it shows the zombie's head when he looks back, and then there's a, you go look it up on YouTube. There's a severed head, I think that rolls by or something gross, mm-hmm. and then it goes back to the zombie. And I I'm, I want to say there's more instances of censorship for the U.S. You know, delicate audience because it would this come out in '96, so mm-hmm. kind of makes sense. But I think they re-released. Was the director's cut 2002? I think, I think so. It was like. But I thought I would have figured they would have incorporated the those cutscenes and stuff that they took out, but maybe they didn't. Or actually, I don't know because I think the let's look it up because I was thinking two thousand two thousand two was when the remakes came out, isn't it? Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. I'm pretty sure I the original Resident Evil I played was the, just the Dookie original, and then I also did get the director's cut. But I couldn't tell you what the yeah. time frame was when that came out. Yeah. I know they put it out again on PS2 and like GameCube and shit. Too. Yeah, yeah, those were the re- the, the remakes. remasters, remakes. Okay. Yeah, because they're like I didn't play those ones from what I remember. I just went on to like yeah. the second and third because they're like decent graphics and controls yeah. Yeah. Uh, with the same story and everything. Um, they still have the tank controls, or they change it up? No, I think the the remakes they had they had decent controls, right? Yeah, like regular. So you could just run normally, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's the next thing about this game, man. I started playing, and uh, man, the first three hours, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> it was hard, and the the most difficult thing about it are the tank controls, which I guess is just something they... It's what Resident Evil controls are. It's like D-pad controls that you have to, like... I don't know how to how to explain it. You have to turn with the joystick and then use the deep. I mean, I think you use D pad for both, but you have to like. Yeah, I only use then, the D pad. I remember I was able to use the D pad, but it was only for turning, and then you still had to use the directional pad to go up or down, left or right. It was really stupid. Yeah, like you, you have to you have to decide your direction, which direction you're going with, left and right. So like, it's very if you, if you just yeah, if you if you just hold in like right, your character will just spin. Yeah. And then, no matter and, and then like no matter what, pressing up is always your character walking forward, and pressing back down is always your character walking backwards. And it really screws with you because really it makes you die half the time because like it's confusing because like your character might be like your back might be facing inward in the screen, and then you press up to go the, go into the screen. You know, go down a hallway if the screen if the if the hallway is dead ahead. But all that does is make your character come come towards you, and then <laughs> and it jacks everything up. And on top of that, the the camera is fixed. So, which if you guys are listening to this, you probably already are familiar with Resident Evil because it's front. It's like thirty years old at this point. But yeah, the ca- the, the the camera every every room you're in, it just sits still, and you have to watch your character move around as if as if you're like watching a security camera. And it's really hard for modern gamers to acclimate to the style of play, but it was almost cutting edge when we played it originally. Like in the 90s, it was so cool. Like, oh my God, this looks great. Because I went back, like I said, I definitely went back at some point 
and replayed on the PS1. The actually I was at a Altoona Sci-Fi Con. They have a, they might still do it. It's like a gaming room and it just has like every you know system uh going to the weird Japanese ones we never heard of to I think last time I went it was up to the PS4. But they had the PlayStation 1 and Resident Evil was one of the games and mm. I remember playing it and I was just like this is fucking terrible. <laughs> it was like the original <laughs> original the actual disc and it was just so choppy and just it I mean, it looked better than a lot of the games at the time still, but I wouldn't say it necessarily holds up compared to even, like, the remake. Yeah, and here's what I'll say. The first, like, three hours I was playing, I was like, I can't fucking do this because it was just so... It was just so hard to get used to that. Nobody does tank controls anymore. Everything is joysticks or, or you know, or, like, you're... I don't know how like mobile games work, but nobody just nobody does this anymore. And uh, as bad as the game looks, and like I'll always say, PlayStation graphics don't hold up compared to like NES or Super Nintendo graphics. But eventually, once I got the hang of walking, <laughs> it totally opened up the whole game, and it didn't feel that bad, and it didn't feel that aged either. So like that's where I say like learning to walk was the biggest barrier in uh, getting this game going. And also learning how to avoid zombies. Um, once I figured those two things out, I started the game over, <laughs> and then and then I got then I got it going, and uh, yeah, from there it like totally opened it up, and I could I I understood that I wasn't supposed to like, uh, which I already knew this from other Resident Evil games, but even more so with this one, I understood I wasn't supposed to just kill everything I was seeing. And like you want to get the zombies to like throw up on you so that because <laughs> it hurts you, but it hurts you less than when they're biting yeah. you and trying to kill you. Uh, and that way they, they throw up on you, but then they don't grab you and you can walk around them and get to the door you're trying to get to or down the hallway or whatever. It's more strategy based. <clears throat> yeah. And that's where I say it's um, it's similar to something like Deja Vu where you're just trying to you're just getting getting a lay of the land to be able to solve the puzzles after you like understand the map of the the mansion or whatever environment you're in. You know what's a perfect counter for that game? If you would ever play it, Fear and Hunger is exactly <laughs> what you're describing. It is more about strategy versus just fighting everything and trying to level up like an RPG, you know, a regular RPG. You don't level up. You just go through a dungeon, you have to memorize like the layout and everything and you just play it multiple times until you get good at it. Well, maybe one day I'll play it. Are you familiar with that? No, no. I'm awesome. Really you gotta look with, it up. I'm really bad with video games. That's why I was psyched <laughs> to do Resident Evil. The only video games <laughs> I played ever consistently are Resident Evil and Mortal Kombat. Nice. I guess Mortal two. Kombat. Yeah, two totally different sides of your brain work on those. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I think I just, uh, again, I just like the characters and everything, and just all the all the villains and zombies in Resident Evil are always super cool. Right. And, I, I dug the strategy and the puzzles and just the the vibe, the atmosphere is, is Resident Evil for me. Definitely, you know, it's like the first Halloween, like we were talking about, almost like that's just the slow, atmospheric, creepy, for cool sure. vibe. Yeah. yeah, and that that makes me. I mean, going back to music. Um, yeah, I like the music. By the way, I love the music. Yeah, I liked yeah. it, and and so it's hard to say because I don't know if we each heard different music or not, but. Uh, I particularly liked it when, uh, like, when you get like roughly maybe a third or half the way through the game, and it gets it starts getting more mysterious. Um, you're in like I think it starts when like you get to that guardhouse, 
uh, outside of the, I think it's the first time you exit the mansion and then go into a new place. Huh. You start getting this like mysterious music uh, because you, you, you started like walking into an area with clues or an area where you're getting close to a boss or something like that. And actually I liked it because it sounded very similar to me to the, I don't know if you're familiar with this Zach, but uh, to the, the eerily calm music right before that uh, plant boss in super Metroid. Um, super Metroid. You know what I'm talking about? Caleb? Yeah. Yeah. You know how it has that like really like low key, like, chimey music before that that's two things i love about atmospheric video games when the music is a clue Mm -hmm. and when the music lulls you into this false sense of security then immediately blam you get right Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah it's the best and the funny thing is i was thinking that uh about super metro when i first heard that music not knowing that i was walking into uh a boss that is a giant plant also. So I feel like they probably had inspiration from <laughs> yeah, Super probably. Metroid, maybe. That's cool. Um Yeah. I don't know. You have you have any memories of the music? I know you said no, you don't I prefer don't, it. That's but... the one thing I actually don't remember that much about was the music. I remember some of the atmosphere, because I didn't watch any. Normally I try to if we go, you know, play a game that I've already played before and I don't really need to play again, I'll just watch a couple like walkthroughs or playthroughs on YouTube just to you know, just get the memory back. I didn't have a chance to do that with this because I thought I knew it enough. But yeah, that's the one thing that kind of eludes me is the, uh, like I said, deja vu. I could, 20 years from now, without playing that game, I'll still have those stupid tunes going through my head. But <laughs> Resident Evil, it didn't have that. I mean, I remember like when, uh, what was it, the tyrant at the end would come booming out at you. Like, I remember like those moments uh, with the music, but I don't remember just like the general yeah, music, yeah. just like walking through hallways and stuff. It's not like super memorable. It was just that that one tune in particular sticks in my head a little bit. But what about the Resident Evil movie soundtrack, though? The oh. 2002 movie. I've seen it, but I don't remember. It's all new metal, like Fear Factory and oh, Slipknot yeah, yeah. remixes and Il Nino. And oh, I have it. Yeah, on on disc, I jammed it. Marilyn Manson did the score for it too. Really? Yeah. So it's all like it's actually really fucking sick. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but that's the thing with Resident Evil. If they would have had like a recognizable theme, I think, for like the video games for music, I think that would have been huge. But there really isn't. But it's it is like just uh, the ominous and powerful yeah. music. Yeah, I just remember it being like a, on par with horror movie music. You know, just part right. of, part of the experience. Yeah. Well, what they have in instead though, instead of uh, like a super prominent theme, is this terrible intro <laughs> with <laughs> real actors. Yeah. That are not very good. Yeah. <laughs> the worst line what, readings in yeah. any game, I think. <laughs> That's what makes it so great, though. And then the voice acting. I, I don't know if the if the voice actors are the same people as the intro video characters, but that'd be interesting man, to discover. Yeah. Are they I wouldn't terrible? be surprised. I. <laughs> oh man, what was the one he had? If you play as Chris, after uh, after you beat the. The plant boss. You talk to that uh, Rebecca girl, that character, and and because she kind of saves you. And then Chris is like, "We sure got to the root of that problem." <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> Was he Arnold? He has to have a shitty have one-liner. To. I I laughed out loud when I heard that shit. It's, <laughs> every bit of dialogue 
from the characters in the game, like during the game, not not even like in the intros or the outros. Every bit of it is just bad. <laughs> Imagine actually if you were actually in that that mansion for real, and that's those situations, and you're fighting these monsters. <laughs> you just bust out one of those one liners. Like, what the fuck? Like, I mean, in a way, it adds to like, the he's horror. Gone insane. Yeah, it, it adds to some kind of horror. <laughs> That's exactly what I would do. <laughs> Probably. Or the other time that Rebecca girl is like, Chris, don't die. It's like, I'll try my best. <laughs> they, when they were recording those lines, they must have had them watching some animated version of the game that might have not been finished or something. And they're either trying to match the mouth movements or they didn't have any cues and they're just like, hey, take this many seconds between words. And because it's very stilted and weird a lot of yeah, the time. I don't get how voice acting is done because my first thought, which there's probably better references than this, my first thought is the Final Fantasy X scene that I think a lot of people have seen, even if you haven't played it. That that part where uh the main character and the the supporting girl they start laughing together and they just go Ha 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 ha! <laughs> they're, they're supposed to be like laughing to like to like lift their spirits, just to like get get themselves out of a out of a bad mood from the the events that are that are transgressing, and uh, <laughs> they're just doing these weird forced laughs, and it's just so uncomfortable. <laughs> you know what could be the culprit? The same with like old kung fu movies and stuff. They weren't, like, Resident Evil, I would assume, yeah, because it had the Japanese release, I would imagine it was recorded in Japanese originally, so the animations went with the Japanese dialogue. So when the English uh, dub got put into place, they probably had to try to match the mouth movements as best as they could. Yeah, but in Japanese is a very, it's a faster language with more words than English, so it probably didn't translate well. But in... Maybe, but in, Re- in in Resident Evil, the first one, you the the characters are just like they're still kind of like Lego-y. like they're yeah they're decent, they're closer to PS2 than than like Final Fantasy VII, say, but but you know you don't really like uh, you don't really see like really good detailed features in their faces when you're looking at it. you don't really see them their mouth their lips moving or anything like maybe a little bit. I it don't still know. might have just been a timing issue. It might have language been. like change. maybe their yeah. body movements. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like the Japanese, you know, like they always have the joke, like they said fifty words and then it's just saying hi or something. Yeah. So maybe they just had uh, scenes where the dialogue was either really long or really short, but then the English version is the opposite. So they had to stretch the words or the right. way they said them, or they had to shorten things, and it just doesn't work. Luckily, they don't make games like that anymore. Now they just probably have the mouth and stuff animated after the AI probably just does it for them now. Yeah, I was I was listening to a show about uh, Ghost of Tsushima, and they were t- they were saying how you can <clears throat> you can choose to either have the English voiceover, and I think I don't know if the animation changes or not, but you can choose to have the English English voices. Or you can have the Japanese, the original Japanese voices with English subtitles, which is really interesting because I've never heard of that before. And what? And I guess the the weird thing is, while you can, while it'd be cool to experience it in Japanese, since it's like a you know, it's a 
yeah. Japanese game. Um, <clears throat> like it takes place within like Japanese culture and everything with char- Japanese characters. It'd be cool to experience that. But then if you're reading the English subtitles, you're not watching the game and it's like a very progressively graphic game. Like, you know. Yeah, but I don't know if the I don't know if the animation is different depending. It'd be interesting to see if the animation is actually different depending uh, if it's in Japanese or if it's in English. You know, honestly, but, what we should do after this is just do a quick watch of the original Japanese version. Somebody playing it just yeah. to see what it, you know the cutscenes and stuff are like. Right. Yeah, that'd be neat. Maybe I can put some up if the video works out. I can put some up in the. In you know what would be hilarious, though, is if the Japanese, <laughs> the voice actors were just as shitty. <laughs> just like, Genki des. <laughs> what the um, fuck? Like, just real stilted and terrible sounding. <laughs> it's probably the case, I would imagine. That's always what I loved about Godzilla movies, watching those as a kid, too. The voiceovers, the dubs of them, it's the same terrible. thing. You know? Yeah, they're so bad, but that's what makes them so great. It gives it that quality. So yeah. It's part of Resident Evil for me is the bad voice acting. You know? right. It's like a Jason sequel in a way. Yeah. <laughs> of quality. So uh, what do you guys think is your, in your memory, what is your favorite and least favorite enemy or boss? I always hated the dogs. I don't remember if there were any more of a pain in the ass than any of the other villains and the other characters. I just always hated the stupid dogs and they come at you through the window and just, I don't know, I just I didn't like the dogs. I thought they were annoying. Uh, I remember the tyrant was my favorite because he was cool looking and from what I remember, he was very easy to beat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Go dogs, ahead. I still hate those dogs, still. Uh, even in like real life, the where they Doberman Pinchers, they yeah. still like fucking freak me out a little bit. Like, or not <laughs> like you know, just I know they're dangerous because of Resident Evil, so I stay my distance. Uh, that but, was one moment though that's always burned into my head was the first introduction of those dogs yeah. and then like them jumping through windows and stuff. Yeah, God damn You'd it! Be <laughs> fucked if that was real. Yeah, that would be terrible. Yeah. That would be like the ultimate killing machine because yeah, if you're trying to spread a zombie virus, what's a better way than a dog that's very quick and can get through tight spaces and just, you know, run you down? Yeah, super terrifying. And I always love liquors. You know, they, they're Ooh, so, those are, yeah, yeah, those are good too. They're just such a good monster and super cool. And Wait, yeah. what are they? Those um, big tongue things? With big tongue things with the liquors with the brain on their head, their brain for eyes. And, uh, I don't even remember that. Did I miss that? Did they made maybe they came in at Resident Evil Two? Maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm messing up. Well, maybe it's, it, I, it, I could have swore they are in Resident Evil One though. It's funny because I'll look it up right now yeah. because when I was playing, Shireya asked me about something with big tongues. Yeah, so they're like the uh, iconic monster, I guess. So they're called Lickers. Lickers, yeah. No eyes. So when so I so they're blind, you have to like creep around them. When I punch that in, it says it comes Resident up with Resident Evil 2. Yeah. Okay. Then I might have just been introduced in 2. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you can answer this, Bryce, um, but Zach, did you like Resident Evil 2 more than the first one? So much I remember more. playing the shit out of that one. Yeah, so much more. I was, re- I was really more into 2 than I was the first one, but... Uh... Yeah, and I still even the remake. I just I just played the Resident Evil Two remake they put out maybe a couple years ago, not too long ago, and I thought that was fucking fantastic. Like capture the essence of the old one for sure. I definitely want to get into that. Oh, real quick, uh, I didn't say my my uh, yeah enemies. Yeah, what's yours? At first, it was the dogs. Um, 
because when they do jump through the windows, I had to do that part over like a billion times. But uh, as I progressed, it was those hunter things. You remember I the hunters? I don't like those either, yeah. Oh my god, because they end up replacing like every enemy that you killed in the uh, uh, up to that point in in every location you've been in and uh and like you run out of you run out of uh herbs and first aid spray just because of those bastards <laughs> and if it wasn't for uh and i, I just had to do it because i got i'm getting impatient with, with these games but i if it wasn't for save states <laughs> <laughs> this i'd still be playing it right now i think Oh my god! I didn't, I didn't, I didn't use an actual save one time because I, I was just doing doing save states. Um, but I, honestly, I realize that's like a little bit cheating. But it, we're not holding it against you, man. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I'm, it's just it's me on me, it's and I, <laughs> I I always feel bad about it. But I mean, it. I whatever. I I'm playing these yeah. for the stories to talk about them and yeah. just to experience the game in general. I could have done it if I wanted to spend like 90 hours figuring that shit out, <laughs> but I just didn't want to do that. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, the, oh my God, those hunters, they were the worst. And the, the, the second time you fight the snake, yeah, uh, that was a pain. I had to do that over a bunch too. Um, oh, and then we, we're going to talk about Resident Evil 2, uh, just for a second. I really want to play that. That's one thing they don't have on PlayStation Plus Premium right now. So, I don't know how I can play it unless I play a remake. Well, I like playing really it. good, dude. But is it? Yeah, the original is yeah, where it's at, but they yeah. did a really really good job with the remake. I was super impressed. I've, I've heard all the all the remakes are like pretty good so yeah. far. The only one I didn't play 3. I've heard mixed reviews on 3 on Nemesis, yeah. but um, Yeah, I think that is on there. But There you go. Yeah, I want to play 2. I got to figure that out. Too sweet. Maybe well, had it on uh, Nintendo sixty four. They had it on, yeah, huh. yeah, yeah. I totally had it on Nintendo sixty four as so well weird. as PlayStation. Yeah, it was super weird. It's it's interesting. I remember it. Yeah, I might be misremembering, but I thought that version, uh, like the bosses and stuff, weren't as hard. Probably. Yeah. They, well, also the on. Nintendo, they're going to tone it down too. Yeah, I feel like there was it was a little bit difference in difficulty and intensity on Nintendo, but. Uh, Playing it as a kid, it worked. <laughs> yeah. Are the so are the bosses hard? Because all the bosses in Resident Evil One are like, they're not that hard. Like the the snake one was the hardest, I think, but everything else super easy. So are the ones in two? Are they like more challenging? I mean, I would say yeah. I never really, I don't really remember anything. I was like super stuck on. I was always more stuck on the stuff you actually had to be smart for, like the puzzles and everything. Yeah, <laughs> getting around the, <laughs> the police station, because uh, that's the premise of two. Is you're trapped in the in the police station, and it's all sorts of you know. Oh yeah, you have to that, figure that's out the first one, with Leon, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, super my boy Leon, yeah, mm. beast. Yeah, I want to play that. I gotta Next get my time. hands on Next that year. sometime somehow. All right, a few more things about just the gameplay because there's a few things I want to touch on. First of all, end boss, easiest end boss I've ever I've ever experienced in my entire life. Terrible. I I thought it was gonna be over the first time you shoot him three times and he's dead, uh, or and he falls down, and I, I was thinking he's gotta come back sometime, and then he doesn't, and he doesn't, and then you get to the helicopter pad, and then he finally comes out of the floor. Yeah. And uh, I was like, there he is. 
And I was like, all right, this is going to be a big battle. This is going to be <laughs> tough as shit. And then the, heli- the po- helicopter pilot just tosses down a bazooka. And it's like, hey, guys, it's over. <laughs> Very convenient. Gra- gratifying way to end it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it was fun regardless. The The whole game was really cool. Like, uh, I like the Resident Evil puzzles no matter what. Like, sure. I think that that's it's what a good vibe. that's really what makes it, I think. I, I agree. It's it's nice to have like I do like a a good boss fight though but uh, overall I was still like it, it was a nice contrast because the last thing I played was Paper Mario so nice. yeah <laughs> um okay last thing I want to talk about in terms of gameplay is uh the Doom books because I don't know if you guys remember this. But you need you need to find two Doom books in order to open up the last area, like to get to the lab, I think. Okay. And I got like all the way there and I didn't even I, I found this other one just randomly, the second one. And I that was like the only time I had to look something up, I think. So I was like, what the that I how did I how could I possibly have missed something? I spent so much time backtracking everywhere I was and uh <clears throat> i i just couldn't imagine i couldn't fathom that i missed a room uh but then i did so you guys don't remember this not really not really though. man there's like a fountain <laughs> there's a fountain right before you uh right after that part uh you remember the part with the like the indiana the raiders of the lost ark uh cool rock thing yeah yeah right after that part you come you go up an elevator okay and uh you go out to this like courtyard kind of thing there's a big fountain and you have to place these. You have to place something on these two, like I don't know, these two ledges, I guess. And you have to find these two Doom books, Doom Book One and Two. And inside of the Doom books, if you check them, there's these like medallion things. Okay. You have yeah. to place these medallions on each of these gotcha. ledges. Gotcha. And then once you do that, the fountain uh, floods, or you know, uh, all the water goes out of it, and it hit, uh, exposes this elevator to go down to the lab. Got it. <clears throat> and it was one of those things where I was like, son of a fucking bitch. I have to go all the way <laughs> like back to the mansion, back to the beginning of this shit, just to get a goddamn book because I missed one room. One room. It was all the way at the beginning? Kind of. It wasn't yeah. as bad as I thought it was going to be. But okay. that's my next point. <laughs> that's a poor uh, game design right there if you have to go all the way back. Yeah, well, the thing is, the thing is, anytime you have to backtrack, it's actually not that bad. And it, it's because I feel like when you start this game, it feels so enormous. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I mean, I'm sure, like, you guys have played enough that you can think of, like, what the whole game is like. And it's, like, not that intimidating. But, like, when you first start playing the game, you're in a mansion, first of all. So you get, like, just the fact that it's called a mansion makes it feel real big. And you have to go through, you have to go in and out of so many rooms and 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 watch that stupid door open uh, open uh, animation. That everything just feels like it takes forever, and it's so big, just so big. But by the time you get to like the, you make some progress, especially if you get to the end of the game, when you do have to backtrack, it's like it 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 in my head when I knew I had to do it, I was like I gotta get up tomorrow and I gotta backtrack. And do this shit. <laughs> and but then I did it and I was like, oh, that wasn't that bad. Really? Like the game feels so big and then by the end it's so it's it like shrinks. 
It's really it like Resident it, Evil's teaching us deep life metaphors right for there. For real, bro. for real. It's really interesting. I I don't know. Yeah, uh, I think they're all like that. Right? Yeah, like you know, when you're when you just start and it's mysterious and you're exploring this world and it feels just so vast and you know it's exciting and crazy and yeah. scary. But yeah, by the end you're like, I got this. You know where exactly things are. Right. Yeah, it is cool. It's like being a child versus being a grown adult. Exactly. We're still running around from zombies. Yeah. You know what's interesting about the <laughs> older games? When you have these giant open worlds, at least back then it seemed, you know, before sandbox games and stuff, it seemed like, oh, this is a huge game. When you actually go back and play a lot of them, it's amazing how much is just empty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like there's not really anything to do or explore once you already did your first go through. So when you go through even like a Resident Evil, it's cool. But then it's just like, oh, just empty room, empty room. Like there's not much to really look at or do. Mm-hmm. Uh but when you, yeah, when you, like you said, when you first go through, it, it's like, oh, this is huge. This is crazy. And then you just kind of get bored. It's like, <laughs> okay, I've been here. Versus like the new game, you know, like think of like Breath of the Wild or something where it's like, there's just so much cool shit to look at. And you just yeah. go endlessly. Uh, kids nowadays are so spoiled. They just, they don't yeah. know what it was like to just go through empty, poorly pixelated rooms. I love hearing about younger people who are like high school kids nowadays who are interested in this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's how I feel about, like, our interest, our continued interest in, like, literature nowadays, that, like, most people nowadays, our age, I guess, don't read. And it's like, it's it's one of those things that video games are becoming, or old video games are becoming anyway, like, something that could easily get lost to the past, that you feel, you you feel like you have a responsibility as an adult to continue doing, because it's, it has so much importance that people push to the side because it's time consuming or it's hard and it's kind of the exact same thing as what old video games are and so it's cool when you hear about like i was just listening to a video game podcast the other day and there was a listener comment that they read about how he's, he was like 17 and he's uh he i don't know he loves like original nintendo games or something he was asking a question about it and i was just thinking that's really it's a good thing because yeah, it's cool there it's a real thing that a lot of old video games, like thousands of them are at risk of like basically going extinct because they aren't like, you know, the cartridges die eventually. And aside from what collectors have, they're just sitting in the past. And unless, unless the uh, people who made them put them out again, they're just done, you know? So it's one of those it's things. Interesting to think about. I never really thought of that comparison to like how literature in old video games, but yeah. that is like that. That's that's pretty cool. Well, what do you guys think your view on video games and literature would be if you came up now? Like if you had the TikTok and YouTube and uh, ridiculously well done graphic wise games. A lot of these games come out and they're actually busted, and you have to get the patches and all that yeah. annoying shit. But I think that's a crock of shit that they would release unfinished games that cost like 60, 70 bucks. But anyway, it's a different topic for a different day. (laughs) Uh, But just like, you know, just think of like a No Man's Sky. It's just, oh, just endless universe of going to all these different planets and looking at stuff. And then we go to the old games where you don't have much to do other than just the actual game. They're very short compared to, you know, this game has 600 hours of gameplay and then additional stuff and downloadable content. would you guys feel like you would be in their shoes, like you'd be spoiled and then just wouldn't want to go back and do, like, I don't want to play Mario, the original. It's hard. It's not that cool. 
it stopped being fun for me when you had to pay for and connect to the internet and you had to talk to all your these people online and like your friends as like group of things like to me that's like I, I lost interest in video games because it got too complicated. Like it did the opposite for me, you know? So I was always just, I, I probably would be like that today. I'm just like an old soul. Like I just like, mm. I like old shit. I like to yeah. sit down by myself and play this fucking video game. And I don't want to like do all this extra nonsense. And to me, well, one, just, one of my favorite things growing up was having my buddies come over, like especially when the 64 era, because you had four controllers. Yeah, it was huge. And we would just all play Perfect Dark or GoldenEye. And even like when Bryce comes over, we play these awful emulator games and hacked <laughs> games. We have Dude. so much fun just being there so next cool. to each other. No phones in hand, just playing the game, enjoying each other's company. Mm-hmm. But a lot of kids, like you said, just, even just online, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. It's like you're playing with somebody, but you don't really see them. And it's just, it's not... For me, that I'm I'm the same way. I don't think that's that fun. It's too complicated. And then there's weight. I don't like that there's so much to do sometimes. Where, yeah. like, I I wanted to play Red Dead too, but it's just so much to do. I know like that's all I would do, and I think that takes away the fun for me. Is just like endless possibilities. It's like I don't want to just do that game. Yeah, I think yeah, I, I agree with Zach. Like, I think I, I I think no matter what, it depends on like your upbringing and just like. <laughs> whether or not you're like an old soul so i feel like all of us kind of are yeah and like that kid i i just re- mentioned that uh, a few minutes ago there's always gonna be people like that and i think even if we like in the souls that we are came up as kids right now i think we would still be doing the same thing like trying to recover all these artifact kind of things and preferring you know the original things right in general that's just my well there is some resurgence in retro games just because of the simplicity factor mm-hmm. a lot of these kids are so overstimulated that they actually want something simple and quote-unquote easy to play which you know if you play any ninja gaiden or castlevania you realize really they're not hard. easy at all <laughs> but just the fact that you go back and play these basic games uh and i think also because it really takes so much of your mind to play those really hard old nes and super nintendo games mm-hmm. Because, like, a lot of modern games, they're, I don't want to say they're kid-proof, but, you know, they have walking guides, and it's really hard to fuck them up, honestly. Like, it's really hard to not be able to finish the game, even if it's a puzzle game or anything like that. And that doesn't even include walkthroughs and everything else, you know, all the tools available now. It's just, uh, it's not as challenging, but it's also overcomplicated. So I think a lot of kids like to go back and play the simplistic games because, the challenge is just in the game. That's it. There's nothing else about it that is hard other than the game itself. You don't have to pay to download something to make it easier. While the, your friend who can't afford it, he has to play the harder version. Like this stupid stuff like that, I don't like. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, that game room that you were at before. Um, they have something like that, at, the, at least it sounds like it, at the gaming the cleveland gaming classic i was just gonna say that actually yeah Yeah. i'm curious to see the types of people that come and it's fucking amazing yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure there's like all ages that do that shit oh yeah and it's so i don't know it's i don't know it's an interesting age it's important to be preserved i feel like yeah uh i've just lost touch with video games as i've grown up i or not up, I guess, at all, but uh, just lost interest in them as they progressed. I, but I just like I said, I've liked old shit always. So yeah. I think it's uh, they're definitely a huge formative part of my life and childhood. You know, to I think they're important. So I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to put yourself in kid shoes today. It might just be like 
I wanted to grow up and have like Skyrim be the first video game you play. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> crazy. You know, like <laughs> I don't know how that would you know wreck your shit for other video games or not. I don't, but I think there's something. There is something. I sw- I, I swear there's something about the way they design original games, like original, like Nintendo games, being short, uh, simple, but really fucking hard. <laughs> There's something about that. Like, a challenge that's contained enough that you know you could manage it, but it's also like, I have to dedicate myself to this to figure it out. Like, I, I, there's, I think there's something, like, therapeutic about that. My mom never played a video game except for, okay, there's three games I know she's played in her entire life. Uh, Super Mario Brothers, Candy Crush, and Farmville. <laughs> okay. And, but she beat Super Mario Brothers. And I, and when she did that, she said she put it away and said she'd never play a video game ever again for her entire life because she got addic- addicted to it. But yeah. the, <laughs> there's something about that, like, there's there's something therapeutic and character building about it and i think that's why i don't like using save states if i can help it if it wasn't for the sake of time and being able to play and read enough stuff to be able to talk about it on the show i would not use them at all even no matter how much it frustrated me um if it was just like if i wasn't doing the show I would definitely not use them and see what happens. And like, because I, I don't know, it, it, I, I identify like a mental process when I'm uh, experiencing the way it was meant to be, the, the way it was made, the way it was meant to be played and like failing and failing and failing and failing and failing until I finally figure it out. There's just something, there's something character building about that. Absolutely. There is. There is a, a connection <laughs> with games and literature that I don't think we've made before. And that's when you go back to the classics, they are more challenging. Mm. Like modern fiction generally isn't challenging, but classic literature usually is. And the same with the video games. And it's funny because the video games, while they seem simple, uh, they are usually pretty challenging. They're hard. And that's addictive almost. That's why people, even now with the phone games, like I remember when Flappy Bird or Angry Birds or what, like those games were really popular. It's because it's a very simple premise, but it gets, you know, difficult. And I think people like overcoming a certain challenge. And a lot of people tend not to overcome the challenges in their life. They don't even try to face them. So something simple like a video game where it seems like, oh, this is something easy that I can manage. And then if they overcome it and they, you know, they beat the game, they feel like they accomplished something. Because people need those small wins in life. Uh, it's unfortunate that a lot of people do not, you know, chase the bigger wins in their actual lives. That's more important. But, the, the, you know, at least the retro games fill some kind of need they have. But anyway, going back to like the books and stuff are really interesting when you have people who say they're readers. And, I'm, you know, I don't want to put anyone down. You like what you like. So if you like cozy mysteries or easy YA stuff, that's fine. But if you give them something more challenging, often they will end up just not reading it or they'll try and then they'll give up. But the ones who pursue it till the end, even if they didn't like what they read, they feel like they accomplished something because they actually did something that was difficult and challenged themselves. And I think that's the root of all this stuff, the video games and the books is just overcoming these small obstacles or even bigger obstacles in your life. 
because some people like they say to themselves, well, if I can read this really hard, you know, David Foster Wallace book, <clears throat> then I can, you know, get ask my boss for a raise or something, or I can finally start hitting the gym. Like it builds your confidence in a way, even if it seems silly at first, especially like the retro games. But the more you do and the more you beat these things, the better you feel about yourself. Mm-hmm. And then that, you know, can actually translate to real world scenarios. Yeah. And, uh, I like that because it makes me think of uh, how we just read Sound and the Fury, and then I started reading Zone 1, which we're going to talk about next show. The Sound and the Fury was like, Faulkner is a hard read. However, I felt like I read that very, very, very smoothly, even though I didn't understand all of it, and it's challenging to comprehend in that way the reading of it was very smooth and just silky. Like I, you know, the the process of reading it was easy. The content is complex. And that that's like how old games, old games are, right? Uh, I'm just like talking about what you were just saying. And then yeah. in contrast, zone one, super easy to understand, kind of hard to read. Like, <laughs> like a lot of big words. Like Faulkner didn't really do that. You know, he's he's plain plain language, language of the time, not really anything overdone. It's hard uh, for me to follow the points of view in that if I remember right, Sound and Fury. Isn't that from like told at three different times or from three different yeah, people's point of view throughout yeah, the book like or whatever? Four, yeah. Or three or four or something. Yep. Yeah. That was hard for me to like, grasp, I think. But once I did, I I did. But yeah. I just read it pretty thing. recently. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna talk about it on on another show, but yeah, it's like uh, it's one of those books. It's like, like Caleb was just saying, the the classics are simpler but more difficult, mm-hmm. and the contemporary ones are more complex, but very very simple in content. Right. Uh, yeah, that's a really interesting connection there. We're smarter than we look. Yeah, How about that. We're talking about a lot of good things today, shit. guys. Yeah. All right. High five. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Man, I still have a lot to talk about, and I'm gonna go through all of it. So let's start. I just I have a few like story element things from Resident Evil here. Something that I really liked about I think they do this in all the Resident Evil games, but something I really liked about it was the idea of like horror stories told through journal entries. Because you don't really actually get a lot of story like real time in this game. You, uh, you just, as you're searching for your teammates and clues to find them and figure out what's going on, you're picking up like, uh, journals and, uh, documents, pieces of information and piecing it all together. So like that, like that Martin Crackhorn thing, that's what I was talking about. Like he, he, it was just like a letter to his wife because he was infected by this virus that the umbrella corporation whatever is, uh, experimenting with, um, so, like, there's innocent ones like that. You pick up some uh, journals from some of the researchers and scientists. Um, and, and then there's, like, you know, they, they get real malicious where you find out, like, one of your teammates is actually an undercover, uh, one of the researchers. He's, like, he's a double agent. His umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I was just, I, I realized how cool it is when horror stories are like that. Because that's not, that's not a new thing. And actually, uh, well, when this comes out, we haven't talked about it yet, but 
in a future episode, we're talking about Dracula, and a Dracula was an epistolary novel where it, it was every all of all of what happened is read from the point of view of one character talking about different characters' uh, journal entries mm-hmm. and like uh, recordings and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I just I, I always I, it's always interesting how horror stories tend to come through different uh what's the word medium i get media i guess it's mysterious um, it adds mystery yeah it's like that that like uncomfortable distance yeah because if it was told like real time it's it's not quite it's more like an action story and less like less you know yeah. less gritty and keeps you in the dark with the right. character you, right it's like a it out. There's a real lack of information yeah. in the story, and that's part of why it's so <clears throat> tense the whole game. I also think just the idea of the Umbrella Corporation lends itself well to that style that, like, you're discovering that too on top of everything else. Like, the right. Big Brother thing that's kind yeah. of controlling it all, and you hear about that just adds, like, a whole extra element of dissonance and creepiness. Yeah, definitely. And I, so, I mean, I think a lot of people probably did this, but. Uh, you, it sounds like you guys play them as the kind of as they came out, but I played Resident Evil Four first. That was the first one I played. Then I played five and six, and so now I'm coming back to the original ones. As I was playing this, I was thinking how it's. Excuse me. I was thinking how it's cool how you actually get a similar satisfaction playing games, at least these games, in reverse chronology. Uh, as you would if you played it in order, like, like finding the new information that way, like, like, <clears throat> like how you pick up journal entries and learn about other characters that aren't even like you learn. You read about um, uh, Ada Wong in in the fir- this first one, mm-hmm. and I like when I played Resident Evil Four, I was like, who the fuck is? Because like, you clearly were supposed to know who she was. In Resident Evil 4 already, and yeah. you would had you played the first three games. <laughs> but uh, I had no idea who she was. And then I, I the, you get introduced to her in the first one, but only through a journal entry. Mm-hmm. And cool. yeah, and it, it's a very like slight reference. And actually, it might not even be her, but I would imagine it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like. And it was just, it made me think, like, would that be a cool idea to do a, <laughs> like, a special series of shows where we play things in reverse order uh, and learn the information that way? Like, because you also, also learning about, like, Wesker and stuff. Because, like, Wesker is a double agent in Resident Evil for anyone who hasn't actually played. Hopefully you have been playing along and, and, and been enjoying the shows. But, um, yeah, because I remember... Do you, you? I think Wesker's in. I don't know. If he, he might be in all of them, but uh, he's in yeah. four, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then you have like a a really cool battle with him in five, also. Um, but I never really knew who the hell he was. Yeah. I didn't Just really get guy. it, but yeah. now I now that I've played it, I do. So, um, isn't Doctor Spencer in like a lot of the games too? I think he's one of those ones that's like referenced in the first one. Yeah. But not. It's not like clear who he is, but he like over the games doesn't it? Because he's the one who created Umbrella, so oh, is I it? would yeah. imagine he would be a big part of the lore. But if you didn't play the first one where he's referenced or the second one, like maybe you would lose that. 
Maybe we just jumped to four or five. Maybe. I don't know. But uh, I don't remember how involved he was in the in the actual lore and the stories. Yeah, I don't I don't remember him in in the later ones. But I mean when was the what was the last one you played? Mm, I couldn't tell you. Maybe the one where they're in Africa or somewhere. That's five. Five. Yeah. Five. I think that might have been the last one I played. I didn't really like five, six, or seven, but eight is awesome if you've never played that. It's uh completely I didn't seven. different. Seven's, seven was more of a return to form um, in like the horror, you know, swampy old creepy house, whereas five okay. and six got a little like action. Yeah. Actually, a little like Metal Gear Solid-y is always what I yeah. described five as. I didn't really like it that much for that reason, but uh, eight's like, you know, horror fairy tale like world. Super creative, super fucking cool. I think I've heard eight yeah. is like it can be like hard to actually get through because it's creepy. So like, yeah, up. I really, I really <laughs> was impressed with it. Yeah, and it's like all the puzzles are so good; they're really hard. Nice. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. I Did you guys ever those. play Parasite Eve? No, no. But I, I remember that being really cool too. That came around. I think that was a '98. I remember that being like a Resident Evil type of game. Okay. I think it was really cool. It was just a lot of gory grossness and stuff. From what I remember. It's been a long time. I don't even know if I own that. I might have rented that game or something. I think there's a couple of them. I'm not sure. What was it called? Parasite Eve. Hmm, interesting. I've heard of it. I don't know much about it, though. I can't. I think I looked it up recently, but I can't remember. But Yeah, that would be one to check out because that was, real, that was, again, like Silent Hill, too, around the same era. Like, just awesome yeah, so yeah, horror game. Great. Oh, did you want to talk about. Well, real quick, I have a question. Are the scientists involved in the creation of the T virus bad? Um, hmm. <laughs> well, aren't they? Didn't they originally create the T virus because they wanted to do good? Did they? I don't remember. Well, I guess the idea was to. Well, I, mean, I don't. I don't know where it went wrong because I don't. Because you're you're taking the story through the journal entry, so it's always like not super clear. But I know the end. Of, like the point was to develop the super soldier, but I don't know if that was the original point. Being, I don't remember. Yeah. I could have sworn there was some story. I could be completely mixing this up with something else, but I thought there was a storyline where it was like they wanted to cure cancer, bone disease, or like mm. something. And then you know, as these things go, the government gets involved and they want to yeah. create a super soldier, and then. They create the Titan, and he's a big, or the Tyrant. And Titan would have been cool with me. The Tyrant, and he's a big jerk. Yeah. I liked them. Yeah, I don't know. It was just crossed my mind because, I mean, especially because most of the zombies you're encountering are the researchers and the scientists and stuff. Maybe they're just doing their job. Yeah, Umbrella's the bad guy. You know, right? Yeah, are you, uh, you sent me that that game that t- today that. Uh, Resident Evil was supposedly like the spiritual successor to. Uh, what was the name of that game? Something House or uh, Sweet Home? Sweet Home, yeah. Hmm. I got a a brief history here if you want to hear it. Yeah, talk about that. I love that. One thing I looked up: Resident Evil was created by a team of staff members who would later become part of Capcom Production Studio Four. The inspiration for Resident Evil was the earlier Capcom. Capcom horror game Sweet Home that was in 1989 and that video I sent you actually looks really fun it does um, Shinji Miyakami right Shinji Mikami was commissioned to make a game set in a haunted mansion like Sweet Home and early on the game was intended to be a remake of Sweet Home which would have actually been pretty cool 
The project was proposed by Sweet Home creator Takiro Fujiwara. I'm terrible at this. Takuro Fujiwara, who was Miyaki's mentor and served as the game's producer. Fujiwara said the basic premise was that I'd be able to do the things that I wasn't able to include in Sweet Home. Obviously, there was uh, some limitations with the NES. Um, mainly on the graphics front, and that he was confident that horror games could become a genre in themselves. He entrusted Mikami, who was I'm changing that guy's name every time, who was initially reluctant because he hated being scared uh, with the project, some words and some more words. And Resident Evil was based on Sweet Home's gameplay system, adopting many elements from the game, including the limited item inventory management, the mansion setting, the puzzles, the emphasis on survival, the door loading screen, the use of scattered notes and diary entries as storytelling mechanics, multiple endings, depending on how many characters survive, backtracking to previous locations in order to solve puzzles later on, the use of death animations, individual character items such as a lockpick or lighter, restoring health through basically the whole fucking game. So I'm not going to go into any more. But yeah, you, you get the picture. Up. I never knew that. It looks really cool. Like it looks for, fun, actually. Yeah, it's one of those games that that you like surprise. It was it's yeah crazy, original dude. Nintendo. It it's like it does does not look, you know, it's one of the higher end looking ones. Um, but if you want to play it, even if you have an em- emulator, you have to get. Oh, you don't have to, but unless you, it was only released in Japan. So if you want to play an English translated version, you have to get one of the fan made versions. Which I okay. think in that video there might a link to it. I don't like remember. It. I think so. Looks pretty cool. Yeah, it, it looks awesome. I would play that shit. Oh, yeah. Thanks for the info. Learn something. Yeah. All right. This was a good conversation. So I got, uh, I got a new segment for today. Oh, boy. Everybody ready for the new segment? Let's go. Yep. New segment of Arcade Bookshop today. It's called Top Five Times. Mm. All right. So this is, uh, like, Kind of the a back sp- of a Chevelle one time, or wait, what are we talking about? <laughs> Chevelle, nice. It's uh, not that. It's not that. It's is it's kind of a superlative game. So uh, times you most felt, times uh, best times, you know, top times game. So number Perhaps. one. Everybody ready? Number one. What was the time you most felt like a zombie? I worked at Walmart for five years as a car pusher <laughs> in my early 20s. Then would be the time that I felt most like a zombie. I actually, a lot of the times I might have been a zombie, and I I think I might even bit some people. So, But unfortunately, I would have been the one who got infected because the people at Walmart obviously are... Uh, yeah, that's reverse zombification. Zombification. I feel like it's a trick question for me because I always feel like I'm a zombie or portray a zombie. <laughs> I, I guess recently because I'm just getting older and decrepit and hungry and just like wandering aimlessly. I think it's I think it's recent history. I feel like a zombie. <coughs> I don't know, man. You got you got your you got a momentum here. Yeah, you got your business. You You're into fitness. I do. You're not a zombie. You're right. Yeah, I guess I never was. That's a that's a. I always thought they looked cool, but I never felt like one. So, more of a vampire. <laughs> I gotta say, uh, last night I took uh, uh, I took a bedtime nap. Uh, you know, I fell asleep on the couch until like yeah, one in the morning. Love that. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I got one of my dizzy spells, Caleb. And uh, when I woke up, I sat up real fast, 
and I was just super, super dizzy. And then I got nauseous and it just wouldn't go away. And then I just, I had to get to bed. I had to get to bed. You got to go to bed. And I, uh, just stumbled my way in there feeling disgusting and sick. Did you have the overriding urge to eat brains? In the back of my, the back of my head. The uh, twinge just, mm, you know, it would be good right now. my mouth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I, I changed my answer that maybe when I drank a lot, I felt like a zombie. <laughs> you brought back memories. Oh, man, that, that brings back memory for me, too. Robo tripping, man. Yeah, there you go. That I probably w- I probably would eat brains. Yeah, shit. Probably have. Are you ready for number two? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what was the time you most felt like the zombie apocalypse was coming? When everyone was buying toilet paper, that was a close one. Yeah, probably that time. Uh, I would yeah, say. that's that where was, I was going. That was to. pretty like yeah, it's undeniable. And. I mean, I don't want to go political here, but that yeah. same time when uh, I I think it's a common enough thought that it doesn't have to be considered one way or the other, but being being in the consideration in the in the position of considering whether or not to get a shot, they were they were getting ready to put out. Mm-hmm. I don't think I mean I think that's on every uh, every sci-fi and uh, horror fans mind like what is this is kind of fast yeah what's gonna happen from this every time you see a group of people controlled by the masses i mean that's that's the umbrella corporation right there man so yeah yeah it's the truth yeah i made i made a part of you didn't get like the urge to just get like steal like 10 shots and just like inject it right into your taint and maybe you'd become the tyrant from resident <laughs> evil like you just get probably crazy yeah and, we have yeah. we have video content made during quarantine from for like just like that i promise <laughs> 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 yeah i ripped off 28 uh weeks later and days later in resident evil quite a bit during that time yeah, <laughs> really played on that <laughs> yes <Nice. laughs> absolutely absolutely tried to make fun of it the whole time i think we did okay Best, it's so bad, it's good moment in Resident Evil Director's Cut. I can't remember a specific instance other than some of that dialogue we I already talked say, about. The root of the problem dialogue was probably the greatest <laughs> thing that you could have could have said. In the anticlimactic boss fight at the end, where you just bazooka yeah. the guy like that, just like I remember that being like that was so cheap. Are you serious? But then I was like, I beat it. <laughs> You're just happy. I was gonna say the moment uh, at the end of the boss, the the, the final boss fight with Tyrant. Uh, when his like head comes off, and it's well, even in the even the first time you fight him, it, his jaw is always going. Like yeah. I don't know if you remember that. He's just like, I, 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 I. <laughs> and then you kill him, and his head comes off, and it lands on the ground, and he's still doing that thing. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> Best door you ever opened. Real life or video? Yeah, Resident Evil or real life. Whatever, whatever you want to do. Or you can go metaphorical. Well, I have to say fitness. Yeah, I have to say okay. <laughs> that's the the uh, gym slash yoga door is that's where fair. is probably the best door I ever opened. Yeah. The front door to the house I live in now when I mm. bought it, Bryce. There we go. I've also opened some nefarious doors in my life, but I don't want to discuss that on this. So <laughs> this isn't I. a kid friendly episode well, or be podcast a, necessarily, but that would be, too be good. <laughs> That wouldn't be a nefarious anyway. Um, 
This is something I meant to think about ahead of time and didn't. So I'm going to say uh, the the door to the heart that my love opened. I was going to say marriage. Just say marriage. Yeah. Your wife. That's what I'm saying. That's cute. I'll be a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last one. Number five. Top time you realized you were over conservative with your ammo and wish you would have laid down a law a bit more. Take that anyway. <laughs> oh. uh, Resident Evil 2, when you're in the uh, sewers and there are tarantulas uh, coming at you, I wasted all. You have a uh, flamethrower or an acid that, yeah, that has acid rounds. Um, and I wasted them all on the spiders. And then you're left with a bunch of uh, zombies and liquors afterwards. You should use them all. I remember <laughs> that. That's my Resident Evil. Don't waste all your... All your flamethrower acid rounds on the spiders. <laughs> Kids watching There are too home. many games for me to count that I've wasted too much ammo. That's always one of my problems is just Contra style shooting everything I can and then running out of ammo before the boss fight or anything like that. Well, let me, uh, so let me maybe you didn't hear me. Top times you realized you were over conservative. Oh, you kept too much. Yeah, I think we went too the- much ammo. We went the other direction. Yeah, all sorry. Right. Oh, I don't know. That's yeah, stupid. That's Why would I keep all my ammo? I like shooting stuff. Yeah. yeah I, Resident Evil 1 is all about that. Yeah. So You know what I'll say, Bryce? I'll say Earthbound because I had way too much in my inventory oh, all the a, time. That's a good one. Yeah. I've never had that problem. I've already... <laughs> <laughs> Gung ho kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. We're all we're all or nothing. We're we're doing it, or I'm just not doing it. We're using the knife or all of it. Yeah, I don't know. It it honestly would. It might be this game because I knew, like I knew going in that this one was like especially bad with like not having enough ammo. To, like because like, if you if you killed everything, you would not be able to beat the game. Mm-hmm. Um. So I like took that way too seriously, <laughs> and I like I tried not to kill like anything. And uh, anytime Still. I did, I felt bad about it. And then at the end of the game, I was like, I barely even used my guns. And then it's like it's like a sad thing. It's, it's like I didn't play the game. But... That makes me think of a really cool idea, and I'm pretty sure it's been done in some horror movies. Bryce, you be the good guy in this scenario because you didn't kill all the zombies. But let's say you did kill all the zombies, and then all of a sudden, whatever you do to complete the game, movie, book, it solves the zombie problem, and the zombies turn back into normal humans. Mm. And now you just killed a bunch of innocent people. About that. Mm, moral you know, quandary there. Yeah. About that. See, I did the good thing. I did the right you do. thing. You do. You're smart. I am smart. Conserve your funds. Kids, don't waste them all in the sewer on <laughs> spiders in Resident Evil or in real life. Amen. Or, or, yeah, or on people <laughs> that remind you of any of those things. <laughs> Ooh, you know it would be heart-wrenching? Have a game where you have the rabid dogs or something, and maybe there's one leader of the pack, and then you kill the dog, and then at the end of the game, it, you know, it, because you killed it, uh, you solved the problem, and it turned back into a nice doggy, and you, know, you blasted it, and it turns out it was some lady's beloved pet dude in that vein have you seen the movie of stephen king's the mist 
Oh, the ending of that the one. The ending of that is like that. It's the most heart-wrenching ending to any movie ever. And that wasn't even the ending from the book. He yeah, They added he that in the worse. movie. And it's like, God damn, he like, kills his kid and stuff. Yeah, that's, like, what oh. that, that's what that reminded me of. Yeah. I must not have seen that. Terrible. So, so Thomas Jane, the Punisher, uh, he's getting, uh, I think, his kid and maybe two other people out of the mist. They were in a department store or a grocery store lot, and they're monsters in the mist, and they fucking get an RV, and they break out. And they run out of gas, and they're still in the mist. And they hear, like, the monsters coming towards them. And he has a gun, and there's, like, whatever, four of them. He has three bullets. So he kills his son, kills the other two people. And it's like, it gets to him, obviously. He's, you know, he can't kill himself. And the monster's getting closer, and it's the army saving everyone. It's not the monster. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he's just, you know, he's just, like, how do you live after car, that? You know, throws like himself that. to the ground and cries, and it's over. It's fucking intense. It's like one of the best endings ever. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Don't watch it. <laughs> if you haven't seen the 2007 Miss, then you're probably not nerdy enough to be here, so you're fine. <laughs> okay. We have anything else, guys? Glad I added that. Yeah. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you all good? No, yeah. It's like, I right. like the evil. game. Thumbs up. Resonant evil. Word. Okay. Stay tuned for next episode. We're going to be discussing Colson Whitehead's novel Zone 1, which Caleb and I and Zach thought was a decent and contemporary literary counterpart to Resonant Evil. The Crypt Keeper, Zach Belanti, will be joining us again next time to discuss the book as well. Zach, do you want to plug Death Comes Lifting one more time? Yeah, check out uh, Death Comes Lifting. By the time you hear this, we will uh, have a little studio on the on its way to being open in Allentown, Pittsburgh. So anybody local, uh, hit us up and come on through. We'd love to have you. And you're on Instagram. We're at... on Instagram at all the everything it can be on Death Comes Lifting. You'll find it. Sweet. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for being on. If you're enjoying the show, be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, share it with your friends if it's their thing. And please remember to rate and review if you haven't already because it helps us a lot to grow and get out there. You can follow us on Instagram at arcade underscore bookshop to see all our updates and our play and read schedule to play and read along with the show as it airs. If you have any game and book recommendations, you can DM us on there as well. Or you can email us at arcadebookshop at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your cool ideas for the show. And... uh, the hell did I just write here? Oh, <laughs> love to hear your cool ideas for the show and not have to think of them all ourselves. Nice. That's what I wrote. Yeah. And Caleb, what's going on with DBW? Oh, stuff. Um, if you want to check out my other podcast, you can follow us at DPW Podcast on most social media platforms. Uh, if this actually does come out on Halloween Eve, then check our episode on Drunk and Pen Writing Podcast tomorrow uh, because Richard Chismar's book publisher reached out to us and uh, they're sending us an advanced copy of his sequel to Chasing the Boogeyman, Becoming the Boogeyman. So we will be reviewing that as our book of the month. Pretty excited because now I don't have to buy it. We were going to actually do that anyway. Uh, so check that out tomorrow. And uh, you can follow me at CalebJamesK.com if you want to see what else I'm up to. Sounds great, man. I'll have to All check right. that out. And as always, do as we do. Keep a controller in one hand and your book in the other. Thanks, guys. 
Very professional operation you guys run. Thank you.